Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning America avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens... War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Uh, yeah. And you're not trying to you're not trying to diss anyone in the in the Democratic Party or call well, them. Well, I did call them running dogs of the Chinese Communist had. Party, and I do mean that. <laughs> but you know, but hey, one other thing right. about the convention, well, if I may, Charles, just just quickly. Last night, the blood of the Bernie Sanders Bernie Bros was all over the floor of that digital convention. AOC, in her brief microwave minute, was slipping all over it. I want to just say to the Bernie Bros. Come home to the party of economic nationalism. We will save your factories. We will save your jobs. And I thought what was what was embarrassing last night, Bernie Sanders kowtowing to the middle of his party, which and, and, and I mean, this is crazy. They don't talk about China. And, and Bernie has has basically given given up on his whole agenda. Well, I said yesterday on the uh, on the Jesse Kelly sh- radio show that Peter Navarro would make an excellent vice president one day, and a standby. It might even be a president in there. This is the War Room. Welcome to episode three hundred and forty-three. War Room pandemic starts here Thursday, August the twentieth. Theory of our Lord twenty twenty, broadcasting live from Washington D.C. on America's Voice. Dot News, Newsmax TV. Later on in the day, the John Fredericks Radio. Network and G News and GTV subtitled in Mandarin and blown through the CCP's firewall. We've got Vishbora, Jack Maxi, Raheem Kassam here in studio. And our guest, Curtis Ellis, a longtime friend of this show, joining us down the line. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us this morning on War and Pandemic. I got no audio. Great Secretary of State. Oh, there we are. Curtis, Curtis, just re- reiterate that because we lost your audio for a second. Say Peter Navarro would make a great Secretary of State as well. That's your, that's going to be your job in the Navarro administration. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis, um, we're so grateful for you joining us. There's it, at the DNC, um, the the horrific show watching Alexandra Ocasio Cortez have to prostrate herself for sixty seconds while the neoliberal and neoconservative establishment within the Democratic Party run roughshod over the proceedings over the last couple of days. What has happened to populism on the left? I thought they were in the ascendancy. Now they're, now they're bending the knee to Biden, Curtis. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got what she wanted. She got her platform adopted. Uh, all of the rhetoric about Green New Deals and decolonization and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that's all incorporated into the platform. So uh, that's now inserted into the DNA, spliced into the DNA of the Democrat Party. And uh, the, the other side of the deal is she now endorses the Biden uh, corporatism. 
the neoliberal corporatist uh, power structure. So you can have both. Uh, you can have the worst of both worlds. You have a neoliberal corporatist oligarchy uh, pushing these uh, in, in basically impoverishing policies. These policies which guarantee the uh, loss of sovereignty of the United States of America and the impoverishment of the American people. Globalization, globalism, uh, shipping our jobs to the third world, and kowtowing to China. Uh, the as we've seen the corporatist establishment has no problem working with the Chinese oligarchs. Uh, it's, it's sort of the concentration of wealth on a global scale. You have the front man of the corporatist establishment and the power behind the throne of the CCP. And that's, that, that's, the, that's the angle they're working. So, uh, Curtis, this is Vish. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, we, we watch the Democratic uh, National Conventions. You hear AOC and, and Bernie Sanders um, they 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 make an attempt at economic nationalism and populism. They do say things like, "We'll bring the manufacturing back. We'll bring the jobs back," but they don't actually specify from from where. So I was wondering, what you know, in, in what what is your thought on that? Is uh, where where would they even imply that they would bring these jobs back from? How does that work in in the leftist universe? Uh, you know, economic nationalism if they're not willing to call out China by name. They don't want to bring the jobs back. Look, this is a project that has been in the works since 1945, that of merging the U.S. economy with that of the rest of the world. Uh, it, it was called out by the economic nationalists of the time, back in the 1940s and 50s. They said, these so-called trade deals are not about trade at all. They're about merging our economy, lowering the American standard of living, lowering the wages for working Americans, and basically dispersing our productive capacities, our factories, uh, throughout the world. Now, this fits in with the left-wing agenda, with the, with the neo-Marxist agenda of identity politics. We're going to lift up the third world. Our job is to lift up the world. It's, it's basically an imperial project. Uh, but uh, we are, the American nation is a colonial subject as well as the rest of the world. The leaders of this, uh, the emperor in this case is not the United States, the emperor of the transnational corporations, and then the transnational authorities that are set up to do that. Uh, you raise a good point, the one name, the one word that was never mentioned uh, throughout three nights of this uh, convention, which is not really a convention, it's an infomercial, is China. They never mention China. They never mention the Chinese Communist Party. You hear them talk about Trump's trade war. Uh, that uh, I heard that twice in the last three days. That's the tell. When they call it Trump's trade war, it shows they really don't understand what's going on or they're trying to obscure it. It is China's trade war. The American people understand that it's China that started this trade war 40 years ago. And the American oligarchy went along with it because they're making money on this. They're making money uh, by outsourcing our jobs to the slave labor of China. Now, when they talk about bringing jobs back and new clean energy jobs, that's a bunch of hokum. China has dominated the solar panel industry the same way it dominated every other industry, through illegal subsidies and dumping and intellectual property theft. There's a, uh, right now, AVIC, the Chinese uh, defense contractor, is suing for that they want the Supreme Court to hear a case to overturn a lower court decision which charges AVIC 
with stealing intellectual property in, hold your horses here, the wind energy sector. So uh, China is doing, if we can't make cars here because auto parts are being illegally subsidized by China, we can't make renewable energy here either. We have to take on China, deal with China before we can do anything. And as you see, the Democratic Party doesn't want to talk about that. John Kerry was on Morning Schmo this morning. And what is he talking about? They ask him, well, what about China? And he says, well, we have to deal with China in order to take on the cyber problem and the climate change and the vaccine. Excuse me, uh, China is the problem in all of those situations. But John Kerry, just like all the globalists we saw on Tuesday night, uh, is responsible for this problem, the China problem, the endless war problem, all of these wars, and, uh, and, and, and you heard, by the way, John Kerry, I loved it, in his little speech he gave on Tuesday night, he, he, he laid it out there. He said, we stormed the beaches of Normandy, and then afterwards we created world peace. We set up the post-war international architecture, the global, the global order. They're still fighting for that. They're still fighting for this global order that was established in 1945 and they refuse to recognize reality that China has hijacked that, that global order, these, these transnational authorities that we set up in 1945 with Cordell Hull and the rest of the globalist gang have become a Trojan horse for China's bid to take over the world. And it's very telling that behind the United Nations building up there in Turtle Bay, they have China gave a gift. All the countries give a gift of uh, an artifact, a piece of art and culture. What did China give the UN? You can see it on the, on the grounds behind the Secretariat building. It's a giant cauldron. It's a cauldron. And what does that symbolize? Throughout Chinese history, the cauldron was owned by the hegemon. And the hegemon of China had this cauldron. And as a new hegemon took over, the cauldron was transferred to that new hegemon. They, have, they are telling us symbolically that the UN, they see the UN, the globalist order, as being the hegemonic power of the, of the world. And China has hijacked that. You, you can see it every day, what they've done with the United Nations, whether it's the World Health Organization or the Human Rights Council or just go down the list. You know, Curtis, I have a different take on you know, why they're not Curtis, commenting about the Chinese Communist Party in the... Uh, Convention, and I think it is because they don't want to highlight for the American people the long-term relationship between the Communist Party of China and the Democratic Party. I mean, let's not forget the reason why we're in an arms race right now with China was because of the technology transfers gone through the Commerce Department instead of the Department of Defense under the Clinton administration in 1999. Senate Intelligence Committee found that they absolutely harmed American uh, security and now, 20 years later, we're, we're combating uh, an arsenal that was created with technology given to them by the same people who are up there speaking every night, talking about how Donald Trump is a threat to the security of America. This, to me, is nonsense. This is why I think they're trying to avoid it, because the shades are coming off the eyes of the American people and the people of the West. Their, their obfuscation is no longer working, so now they're playing the game of let's avoid the topic altogether, in my opinion. 
That's a very good point, Jack. Uh, in fact, you're right. Uh, the, it was the Clinton administration, the Clinton-Gore administration in 1996, that transferred satellite uh, technology, uh, missile guidance technology, was sold and given to China under the Clinton-Gore administration in 96 in return for campaign donations. Uh, it was Loral and uh, Bernie Schwartz, I believe the name was, who was the head of, of Doral, uh, Loral, uh, that wanted to do rocket launches in China, but their rockets fell over. They fell out of the sky. So he said, let's give them the guidance technology they need so I can get my, my satellite launches done cheapo in, in Beijing. And uh, he was a major donor to the Clinton uh, re-election effort and to the DNC. Uh, you have Dianne Feinstein, her driver, was a Chinese spy, but more to the point, her husband made a fortune, made millions of dollars investing in China, Madeleine Albright. Uh, and then, how can we forget? It was Bill Clinton and the Democratic Party that brought, that led the charge to give China permanent normal trade relations, which was the green light for the exodus of factories and jobs from America to China. It was the Democratic Party that built that built the Frankenstein monster of China, that turned it into the economic powerhouse that it is today. And the Democrats don't want to admit that. They don't want us to know that. And as you said, Jack, they want to distract that. Uh, nothing to see here. It's not about China. It's uh, you know everybody else's fault. Hey, Curtis, we've got about uh, a minute left here. I just want to let the, uh, let the audience know where they can get more of your work and more access to Curtis Ellis, because it, every word... Every paragraph, every article that comes from Curtis Ellis is solid gold. So I want more people to make sure that they're tuned into you, Curtis. Where, they, where can they follow you? Everything I write is archived over at AmericaFirstPolicies.org. AmericaFirstPolicies.org. America First Policies is a C4 organization I work with, a policy director over there. And uh, we're there to support the America First Policies. And by the way, you see... You, you can see on Tuesday why the establishment hates Donald Trump, because he is absolutely opposed to the globalist project that has been underway for 75 years. Right. Uh, 1945, uh, John Kerry laid it out there. Curtis, I tell you what, we've got, we've, got a, we've got a break coming up here. Why don't you hang over the break if you can, just a couple of minutes, and I want because I want you to finish this point. Can you hang? I'm going to assume that he can hang. We'll be back with Curtis Ellis, Vishbura, Jack Maxi, Raheem Kassar, broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. War Room. Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, 2020 has been a gut punch to American business, and if you're going to succeed, you need every possible advantage. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. Get your free guide right now at netsuite.com slash Bannon. You're back in the war room. Vishbura, Jack, Maxi, Raheem, Kassam, and Curtis Ellis. Curtis, I want you to reset on that last point you were making because it was such a fundamental one. We ran out of time in that last segment. Curtis, just take us back. Uh, and let it, let us know that whole the whole the whole explainer and the John Kerry stuff. Just over to you. Yes, uh, on Tuesday night we saw a parade of globalists. We saw Colin Powell 
uh, the McCain faction. We saw John Kerry, and they were all making the same point. And this revealed why the establishment hates Donald Trump. He is diametrically opposed to the project that this parade of talking heads has been engaged in. That is submerging American sovereignty, dissolving it, and pursuing this globalist order. Uh, we're supposed to see ourselves as global citizens. We're supposed to be the policemen of the world and uplifting the world and the merging of our economy with that of the rest of the world. Donald Trump and his America First agenda is diametrically opposed to that, and that's why they feel he must be destroyed. Curtis, it's Jack here. I want to make one comment about what you said about the globalists. They've been making a lot of talk about the Russian collusion nonsense. There's been a lot of reports, and they keep parroting this idea that the Russians took out bounties on U.S. troops in Syria, none of which has been proved. But almost to the day that they brought those globalists up there with that canard, it was absolutely proven that Iran was paying bounties to the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers. And one has to ask the American people, where, where was the money that they were paying those bounties coming from? Could it have been from the $1.5 billion in cash that John Kerry flew to uh, Iran, and could it possibly be part of that $110 billion in assets that the uh, uh, Obama administration released for the use of the uh, uh, regime in Tehran? These are questions that need to be asked. I mean, was it U.S. money that paid those bounties now? Uh, yes, and I wonder, was it U.S. money that we sent to Iran that was also used to pay the 72 virgins that are waiting in paradise for anyone who kills an American? Uh, there are many unanswered questions here, and one of the things that John Kerry hit on in Morning Schmo this morning is when they asked him about China, he immediately pivoted to Russia. These people are still stuck in the 1945 mentality because that's what they were taught when they went to the Ivy League schools. They haven't learned anything new, and they don't want us to realize that they built the monster that we face right now, and that is the Chinese Communist Party. Once again, thank you to Curtis Ellis. We're so grateful for you joining us here um, on War and Pandemic this morning, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I got to tell you, last night I look at this thing. I watched the Obama speech and it just kept going. And it just kept going. Well, no, because we had been used to the 30 second, the 60 second, the two minute things and then obama i think went for what 19 minutes in total and he's standing there in front of the sign that says our constitution and all this stuff i mean a word he didn't even know in his time in office right, <laughs> right. um but he's standing there and he's delivering the speech and a lot of people thought that this was a throwdown and they thought that this was this was tough talk from obama i had one thing to say about it last night and I've got the one thing to say about it this morning, is that clearly Obama had smarter people than him working for him in that White House. Because the speech he gave last night was nothing compared to the high-minded rhetoric that we were used to hearing uh, from, the, uh, from the White House podium when he was president. It wasn't worked as well. It didn't flow as well. The delivery was monotonous. I just didn't think it was a good speech. But Ryan Lizza, Ryan Lizza over at Politico, i gotta, I got to pull this up, guys, because Ryan Lizza tweeted something last night and i just thought it was it, it, it embodied 
the difference between ordinary people watching that speech and the political classes watching that speech, the DC political classes watching that speech. Here's what Ryan Lizza said. Barack Obama just delivered the finest convention speech in modern history, again, spellbinding, chilling, optimistic, beautifully written, and expertly delivered. Incredible moment. Jack, I want to bring you in on this especially. Does, has Ryan Lizza read any of the classics? Has he read any good writing ever? I think it should be a prerequisite if you're in the business of writing, but if you think that was beautifully written... You shouldn't have a job in writing words. Well, I think you shouldn't even have a job in seeing words anywhere, ever. Part of the reveal that we're getting with this uh, convention is they don't really believe the nonsense that they're saying. And nobody is saying anything. Even Obama, this guy who has this ability to sort of capture an audience, I did not feel like he was completely emotionally invested in what he was saying. He sort of was lacking his old fire. And I see this all across the board. It's kind of like they're getting up there saying, well, you know, vote for us. Uh, we're not really going to be as lefty as we say we are. We never mentioned the CCP. I even noticed that the whole Green New Deal nonsense has been uh, uh, remarkably absent from their convention. You know why? Because these concepts terrify the American people when they start doing the math. Vish. Look. Everybody, I think I think it's easy if you're kind if you're kind of a, a a lemming. It's very easy to get swept up in in Obama's diction and then think that that is what beautiful writing and beautiful oration sounds like. I mean, it's just a testament to you know the failure of our of our school system of our education system for not making our general populace aware that there are much more beautifully written things uh and beautifully uh beautiful uh speeches and all sorts of classics in the past that really we don't talk about and if we were to compare any of the stuff we hear today to would just pale in comparison so i think again this is all all of the the reaction is a testament to the failure of America's education system. I want to get to some of the hyperbole that we heard there as well. And this is what all the news was leading with this morning when you when you heard them talking about Obama's speech was was how he really took it to Trump. There was nothing different in that speech than we've heard for the last four or five years now. There was no ground broken. And what they did is they reverted back to the same platitudes that people are tired of hearing. He's going to destroy our democracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy, I can't even, the guy stood up there with a straight face. I want to play this clip. I think it's clip six, right? Let's play clip six. He stood up there and made the allegation that this president is tearing down democracy while the Democrats, the Democratic Party, and Obama himself tried to nullify the election in 2016. Let's roll this clip. It's clip six. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down if that's what it takes for them to win. So we have to get busy building it up by pouring all our efforts into these 76 days and by voting like never before for Joe and Kamala and candidates up and down the ticket so that we leave no doubt about what this country that we love stands for today and for all our days to come 
just I'm still processing that. Will will this administration tear down democracy? Will it? Because as far as I can remember, it was the outgoing Obama administration that was willing to tear down the democratic will of the American people in order to maintain power. And if you look at the impeachment process, the Russiagate process, everything that we're seeing now, and believe me, expect more of this between now and November. There are already uh, machinations at work to do more in this sense, to nullify 2016 and make sure it doesn't happen again. And by the way, Mr. Obama, it was your dude. It was John Podesta who played Biden in the recent election war game and refused to accept defeat forcing the house and the senate and ultimately the military to intervene in who becomes it was the war game and we covered this at the pulse if in the national pulse if you didn't see it the war game was john podesta playing biden and they refused to accept their defeat in november so don't talk to us about tearing down democracy. Well, listen, the Democratic Party, to use a psychiatry term, is all about projection, right? The party of Jim Crow, slavery, and, you know, opposition to civil rights calls the Republican Party the party of racism. Uh, You know, they don't want to talk about Chinese communist threat. They want to talk about Russia because that's a non-event threat. So it's easier for them to play and dance around that subject. These people are constantly deflecting from reality. And I listened to that co- those words from Obama there. Come on, would you follow that guy into, into combat or anywhere else? He's not even enthusiastic. He looks like he's ready to flop down in a chair and have a drink. He's bored himself. They know this thing is over in my mind. Yeah, that's right. We've got a minute, about, about a minute left to break here, Fish. I just, uh, By the I way, him- where are my Hillary clips? Hillary clips. I don't know. Didn't she speak last night? It was that. I think hers was the worst of all the. And not only that. So so last night was basically women's night. That was the theme. Did you see the crazy eyes? (laughs) I mean, I haven't seen crazy eyes like that since it's my ex girlfriend. That's that's Hillary. That's (laughs) runaway bride. (laughs) That's why why Steve worked six to eight years to make sure she was not the forty (laughs) fifth president of the United States. Um, But it was all women's night last night. Everyone made some sort of you know plea to women to to you know come out, vote, uh, be active, etc. Hillary actually didn't really touch on those notes last Mm. night. That's one thing I noticed. So. Um, it was actually quite generic, so it was very. Generic. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that was uh, clip worthy. All right, in the next segment, we got Jack Posobiec, Liz Yor, Drew Hernandez, and our embed in Portland all joining us for the rest of this hour. We'll get into it. Hashtag War Room Pandemic. Your thoughts, your critiques, your criticisms. I'm reading them all. We'll be right back. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. War Room Pandemic continues and will forever continue. Episode 343 of War Room Pandemic. Remember, 2020 has been a gut punch to American business. And if you're going to succeed, you need every possible advantage. NetSuite by Oracle is the world's number one cloud business system. Smart companies run on NetSuite because it gives you the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, 
NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. So join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders, assembling a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business. Seven actions businesses need to take now your free guide and get a free product tour at netsuite.com slash bannon that's netsuite.com slash b-a-n-n-o-n welcome back we have a packed out couple of segments here some of our favorites uh liz your jack Posobic, our embed in portland and drew hernandez as well all join us for the following two segments here on war and pandemic but first i just want to remind you of something obama said yesterday this juxtaposition thanks to vish is putting this together uh this juxtaposition of what the reality is like let's go ahead and roll clip 10. they understand that in this democracy the commander-in-chief does not use the men and women of our military who are willing to risk everything to protect our nation as political props to deploy against peaceful protesters on our own soil that wasn't the federal troops declaring a riot. That was the Portland police declaring a riot, and a riot that continued despite Obama's protestations that it was a peaceful protest. Well, that might be peaceful as far as Obama is concerned, but remember, Obama's version of peace, and he was a Peace Prize winner, is droning just about everybody in the Middle East. I want to bring in our panel here now. Um, let's start with Liz. Uh, your Liz, uh, welcome back to the program. Just want to get your thoughts on that real quick and, 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 and hand it over to you guys. Do we have Liz? Exhibit number one for democratic policies to have run amok. They have a feckless district attorney. They have a feckless attorney general. They have a feckless governor. And as a result, it is running amok with violence. And what are we in day 85, 86 in Portland? You know, this is the issue about riots and police. This is an economic issue. What is happening is all these democratic officials took an oath of office to provide safety to the citizens and to uphold the laws. That's not happening with the district attorney, Mike Schmidt. He has washed his hands of this. They had 500 people arrested and he only charged 50 after the riot on the federal building. You know, as, as Bill Barr so brilliantly said before the show trial in the, the hearings, are we all in agreement that federal courthouses should not be attacked and put under fire? Um, this is because of democratic policies, they, you know, laying their hands off of enforcing the law. This is because of Soros-funded district attorneys like Kim Fox in Chicago, who dropped 25,000 felonies and will not charge those people. This is what happens, and this is frankly, I think, why Bill Barr started Operation Legend after Legend Talafera, the four-year-old right. little boy who was shot and killed in his bed in Kansas City. This is violent crime, whether it's violent crime with the rioters, and they're not peaceful protesters. All you have to do, like I have, is read the criminal charges and, and complaints. It is violence of the worst sort. 
And so as a result, I think the Justice Department is doing what it has to do to start sending out additional federal law enforcement officers, not troops, uh, President Obama. These are agents who are going to the nine top cities that have seen a spike in crime, largely from Democratic cities. And I think the, the people, you know, have to, con and to take another line from Obama, up and down the electoral rolls, people have to vote for law and order, AGs, district attorneys, and governors. By the way, there's been no mention of law and order right. at the Democratic uh, Convention this week. It's no surprise, because there isn't law and order in their cities. That's absolutely right. And, and, and what a great observation as well, Liz. I don't think, in fact, Vish, after this show, we should go through the entirety of the transcripts from the DNC and just search those words. Just search that phrase, law and order. I bet you it's zero. I, I bet you it's zero. I'm pretty confident it's zero. That'll be a, a, an amazing uh, indictment of the uh, uh, Democratic Party. I want to bring Drew Hernandez in here. Drew, what's the latest? Because uh, I'm told by uh, the former president of the United States that it's all peaceful in Portland. <laughs> Absolutely not, you guys. That is 100% a total absurd lie coming from a former president of the United States. It's an embarrassment, to be honest, because what's happening in Portland is domestic terrorism. Um, one thing I want to point out is I find it interesting that he calls them peaceful protesters when these so-called peaceful protesters are using multiple cocktails to throw up the federal, co uh, federal courthouse. Uh, they're throwing explosive devices like homemade IED, homemade IEDs to throw at the courthouse. Right. They have high-powered lasers uh, that they strategically, strategically uh, point into the eyes of federal DHS and local police um, into their eyeballs to blind them. Um, last time I checked, those are not acts of peace. Now, to give people and your viewers understanding as to why Antifa and the radical hard left believes that what they're doing is justified is because they actually believe that they are on the defense. And so they fight against men and women of law. They fight against the DHS. They fight against anyone that's in opposition because they honestly believe that they're Nazis and they're fascists and that they're like literally fighting against brown shirts in the 1940s. So to understand Antifa and understand the hard left, the reason why they're so radical and they actually believe they're fighting from a position of peace is because they actually believe they're fighting against fascists and Nazis. And what's interesting, and I wanted to point out, you guys played a clip of Obama uh, saying that, you know, Donald Trump and this administration is destroying our democracy and is tearing it down. Um, I just want you guys to know a lot of the rhetoric that these politicians use, and this is coming from someone that's on the ground, that's been reporting in Portland for the past two months. A lot of these politicians, when they use rhetoric, when they say things on national TV, sometimes I'll literally be wait, I'll wake up in the morning in my hotel, turn on CNN just to, just to hear what they're saying. And politicians will be using radical rhetoric. And then I'll go to the streets. I'll go to the riot the same night. And these kids are using the same talking points in their chants. The same things that these politicians are saying on national news are the same things that these kids are chanting in their riots as they're going against the DHS and the police. So there is a connection, and I want Americans to understand the radical, radical, hard-left rhetoric that's being spewed out of the mouths out of even President Barack Obama is the same rhetoric that's influencing the actions of rioters even in Portland. And it, it truly is a travesty. They are not peaceful protesters. 
Their actions are not covered by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. What they are doing is completely anti-America. And one thing that they're doing is even posing as press. Antifa and hard, hard left radicals are beginning to pose as press in order to deceive police officers. So police officers don't know who is who. And you literally even have, I, I, I've caught this and documented on tape, I've caught Antifa radicals doxing residents in Portland and taking the personal information and giving it to their so-called press. They are all covered in press patches from head to toe. And these are the people that they're strategically using to even dox residents in Portland, their so-called press on the ground. It, it, it's all strategic, yeah. you guys. Yeah. Don't, don't mistake oh, in very... them. They, they, they are very well organized, very well organized. Everything <laughs> they do is pre-planned and strategic. Drew, incredibly well organized, and, and you're absolutely correct to point that out. Uh, somebody who knows a lot about that is Jack Posobiec over at One American News joining us on the show today as well. And Jack, just talking about the press there, the New York Times, am I correct? I missed some of this yesterday, but the New York Times, uh, I missed some of it, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, because we were launching the new National Pulse show on America's Voice at 3 p.m. every day. So make sure you tune into that today. Again, we have Nigel Farage joining us in the exclusive interview today. Jack, I had to get a plug in for myself there, Jack. Jack, um, didn't the New York Times, did the New York Times say that there's not been a single incident where Antifa has been tied to real-world harm? Yes, Raheem, thanks so much for having me on, and congrats on the new launch of the show, by the way. I actually caught a little bit yesterday. I thought you did a great job. Um, the New York Times, a reporter there, was saying that in their reporting, they've never tied Antifa definitively to any real-world violence. Now, this is actually a piece of Antifa propaganda that has been perpetuated by many in mainstream media, and it is not only so um, divisively false, but it is also easily and empirically determined to be false. We have numerous incidents, even in New York City, the New York Times you'd think would know about this. Just last year, an Antifa attacker was indicted for attacking a Trump supporter at an event that was held there. Uh, we've, of course, seen the Dayton mass shooter who was a member of Al Qaeda, or excuse me, a member of Antifa, tied to Antifa. Same difference. And of course, out in Seattle, where where four teenagers were shot, two specifically were shot on the very last day uh, that it was really put together. That was a situation where it has been said again and again that they were shot by these so-called border security at the CHAZ that was set up there. Uh, time and again, this has gone on, but they'll play this sort of rhetorical game where they'll say, well, Antifa doesn't have a a serious organization, and this is why I was going to bring up Al-Qaeda. Well, Al-Qaeda didn't have a membership organization. ISIS didn't have a membership organization. These That is the nature of these groups. They are open source movements. They are sort of uh, amorphous by their own autonomous quality. But that being said, that doesn't mean that they don't have members and adherence to their ideologies. Right. Uh, I know, Jack, Jack, I think you want no, to... No, no, go ahead. No, no, I was, uh, I was just wanted to ask Pasobic as well, as a result of this, I don't know if this happened ex post facto or whether this was always the case, but then this New York Times reporter, is it, is it Davey Albert, Jack? It, it didn't, did they, are they protecting their tweets now? Their tweets are private? Uh, yeah, I think I, I saw that as well. Some people were trying, were basically responding to her on Twitter with articles and photos and videos of Antifa violence, not 
to you know attack them but to inform them and to help educate them as yeah. to what's going on we wake up every morning and thanks to the work of people like drew who are out there in the field in the embed when i was out in seattle we can see the guerrilla journalists are out there in potentially harm's way themselves documenting what's going on filming what's going on collecting evidence of what's going on and then you wake up every morning you go onto twitter you go on your social media platform of choice and you can find all of this evidence so for them to say so so boldly that it doesn't exist is like saying believe me don't believe your lying eyes how do you keep a we've got to go to a break here jack but you, uh, i'll hand it over to maxi in the next segment as well and bring on the embedders also and i'm really grateful for all of you guys the first time we've done it i think a four panel Five panel, if you include Vish. Um, but how do you keep, Jack, a verified Twitter blue check mark if you take your account private? It doesn't make sense. The blue check mark is supposed to be there for people who are verified, people who can inform the public of things. That's why you get verified. If you take your account private, you should lose your blue check, as far as I'm concerned. We'll talk about that and more, more to do in Portland and what the DOJ is doing after the break. Jack Maxi, Vishbura, Raheem Kassam, and all our guests in just a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. with Goodyear because what they're doing is playing politics and the funny thing is the people that work for Goodyear I can guarantee you I poll very well with all of those great workers in Goodyear and uh, when they say that you can't have blue lives matter you can't show a blue line you can't wear a MAGA hat but you can have other things that are Marxist in nature uh, there's something wrong with the top of Goodyear and what the uh, radical left does is they make it impossible for people to do business if they're republican or if they're conservative they put out all sorts of effort uh, don't shop there they do vicious things not so different than what you saw in the streets of portland two nights ago there are vicious and real implications to antifa and the radical left out on the streets and it's not just republicans or conservatives or libertarians, or people who just don't want to be political at all, but get dragged into it, uh, that are suffering. The left, remember, always eats itself in the end as well. And sometimes, even in the beginning, we're seeing it coming up live during the Democratic National Convention. The establishment left, once again, pushing AOC and Bernie Sanders and the populist left out of the picture. That worked so well in 2016. We'll be keeping a close eye on that. Uh, with all of our experts on populism and how that's going to impact uh, voting in November. I want to bring back our panel here as well to discuss law and order. Two words you will not hear at the DNC. I guess this is your Jack Posobiec, our embed in Portland, and Drew Hernandez. Let's start with Mr. Embed. What's the latest out of Portland? What's the latest that you're hearing, Mr. Embed? And what's the latest in terms of organizing? Because as Drew mentioned, they are very well organized. This is, this is not just the, on the back of a cigarette packet uh, kind of plans that get put together. There's a lot of organization. And correct me if I'm wrong, there also seems to be a lot of money going into this. Uh, yeah, thanks, Raheem. 
Um, there is a lot of planning, and they say they're leaderless, uh, which I find kind of like uh, ridiculous because someone is actually behind planning where they go every night, and uh, they send scouts out. They use walkie-talkies, uh, chat rooms, encryption, um, and they're on the, when they're on the ground, they have the place saturated with scouts who go out and look for police who are hiding uh, in vehicles. And this is as they're besieging police precincts and uh, like Portland Police uh, Association building, etc. Mm. Um, as for where the money is coming in, I think there's a group of lawyers that's uh, that's partially funding uh, their bail their bail funds. Um, I'm not sure where a lot of the other money's coming in, but we can probably guess. You know, it's coming from uh, liberal Democrats or extreme leftist Democrats. Right. Um, maybe AOC. Who knows? I don't know. But um, so, I mean, what do you last think? Last night, yeah. What do you think we're went, seeing when we were seeing last night? But tell us, what do you think we're seeing? I mean, are we going to see? any let up in this is there going to be any crackdown are the federal uh, officers going to get involved are they still in that courthouse federal officers i believe are still in the courthouse they just aren't coming out because there was a deal made between uh, mike pence and the governor of oregon uh to to allow the portland police to handle antifa right and uh, and, and the Portland police have actually been very aggressive in in confronting Antifa, um, although it continues every single night, and some nights are worse than others. Hey, hey, uh, they'll hit very they hit a soft target. Mister Embed, yeah. we're up we're up against a hard break here, so I just want to make sure everybody everybody gets back in as well here. Uh, yeah, ju I just want to um, Embed. Can you just run through what what, what was happening last night? Did did the, did Antifa and these guys try to uh, break into the ICE offices and, and and set it on fire? Yeah, that was. Uh, they actually they showed up. They started. They covered the cameras. They started breaking the windows, doing graffiti, um, and. Uh, the Federal Protection Services agents were announcing over loudspeakers, you know, what we're going to do if you try and break in and catch light our place on fire. Um, so that's what Antifa did the night before to a county government building office uh, building. And they they smashed the windows. Right. Then they lit the inside of the building on fire. That's what yep. they were going to try and do to uh, the ICE building. Extraordinary. All right, I want to go back to Liz. Liz, what are the next steps here? We've got about two minutes left. I want everybody on, in on for 30 seconds on this. So very quickly, what are the next steps? Is this going to help the president? Is that why the deal was cut? Are they just looking for the optics here? What's going on? Well, the deal was cut that the uh, attorney general agreed that the state troopers would back up the Portland police. Guess what? When the uh, district attorney refused charges, the state police says, we're out of here. So now it's just the Portland police who are there. And remember, the goofy Democratic governor, Kate Brown, said, oh, as soon as the federal troops leave, and this was the end of July, right. there will be peace in the streets of Portland. Right. Well, that hasn't happened. And I want everybody to keep in mind that September 17th is the planned siege on the White House. 
And by the way, like, like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, it's a symbolic date. It was the first date of Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. I hope and, and believe that the federal government is planning to address this siege and um, not to be too distracted with Portland, although it's violent. But remember that September 17th yeah. is going to be the big dress rehearsal Absolutely. for the attack on the White House. Absolutely. Liz, thank you so much. Drew, 30 seconds over to you. And then, Jack, if you'll hold over, we'll get to you in the next hour as well. Uh, Drew, 30 seconds here. Yeah, and I just want to speak uh, towards, uh, you know, for the police right now. Um, their families are being heavily affected. Um, a lot of police officers are extremely frustrated. They have their hands tied because of city council members. Obviously, the governor and the mayor um, don't allow them to carry out the tactics that they've been trained uh, to carry out for these kinds of situations. Um, but they're not allowed to because right. uh, the city council members and the mayor, they're allowing these kids uh, to make a mockery out of the police. And at the same time, uh, these kids instigate these things. Mm. Um, they will literally stand out front of the courthouse or uh, the precincts Drew, for hours, Drew, we just got to, calling out police. We've got to bounce. And then you see the footage you see, so thank you guys. We've got to bounce. Thank, thank you, you all for joining us here on War and Pandemic. Jack Pasobic, hold over. We're going to get to you in the next hour. <laughs>